Law School Show. Helping you navigate the law school experience with resources and opportunities curated for your success. Catch it all here, right now, on the Student Life Series. Welcome to another episode of the Law School Show. My name is Bianca, I'll be your host today, and today we have the co-presidents of the Elephant in the Room Club. So we have Nicholas Grimi and we have Matthew Boissonneau. And how are you doing, Matthew? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having us on. This is super cool. Absolutely. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself? You're a third-year law student. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm in my third year, my final year, barring any uh, unexpected things in the next couple months. But yeah, um, so I, I'm in the English Common Law program. I was involved with Elephants in the Room last year doing uh, the events. And then this year, Nick and I are back as co-presidents. Uh, Nick was the president last year as well. And yeah, I, I guess, you know, I'm sitting here in my, my home in Toronto, which I normally would not be doing. But it's uh, super cool that, that we get to sort of meet up like this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Nick, how are you doing? Could you please introduce yourself? I'm doing very well, Bianca. Thanks uh, for having us. I, I share Matt's sentiments. It's a pleasure to be here. A um, little bit about myself. I'm in third year. As Matt just shared, I've uh, been co-president of Elephant in the Room for, for two years now. I've had the pleasure of, uh, of promoting mental health awareness amongst our student community and within the faculty of law. And uh, yeah, barring <laughs> barring any unforeseen events, I'm looking forward to graduating at the end of the year. It is true that the the uh, circumstances surrounding uh, law school right now are a little bit peculiar, and that's exactly why uh, we're doing this series today. We're going to be exploring different topics around mental health, especially in the Zoom times, and uh, this episode should come out right in time for the preparation for finals. So uh, just to start us off, could you please tell us a little bit more about the elephant in the room and what you guys do? Certainly. Um, I'll start. So, so elephant in the room, I mean, the mandate is essentially to help end the stigma surrounding mental health. So it's really interesting. We, we talk about it a lot in the context of the legal profession um, because we do have new, unique uh, subject matter that, that, can, that can lend itself to certain trends when it comes to mental health and wellness. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really just about trying to end the stigma overall. It's not necessarily related to the profession itself. It's just creating awareness that we all go through ups and downs and that it's okay and that we're not alone in that regard. And that's kind of my um, understanding or approach mm -hmm. to it. I would love to hear your thoughts, Matthew. Is there anything to add to that? Yeah, I guess sort of just um, piggybacking off of, off of what Nick said, it's a recognition that everyone deals with mental health differences in some way, that there are particular systemic and structural stressors within the legal profession, but that we, we want our approach to be as accessible as possible to people. Um, and generally, as Nick was saying, part of that is destigmatizing conversations around mental health and what it means to experience mental health differences. And also trying to just create spaces where people feel comfortable being themselves and talking about these things and recognizing that we are all so much better off if 
if we can be honest about what we're dealing mm-hmm. with. I agree, absolutely. And um, Matt, could you tell us why you personally started working with the elephant in the room? Um, there are a few. So one, I I was kind of looking for just clubs to be involved in as sort of a a social exercise and just getting to meet people. But mental health is something that is important to me. One, because I mean, I, I deal with it. I have, I've been diagnosed with uh, general anxiety and, and depression, but also, you know, it's something that so many people deal with. And so few people talk about, I think of some of my good friends that I've known forever and we, it's just not something we really talk about, not until the last couple of years. And it's it's been one of the more rewarding things I've done at, at law school, particularly when people reach out saying, hey, like, you know, I saw that you guys are doing that event or, or you know, I would talk about it. And they say, like, can we talk for a second? So I think it was something that was good for me to become involved in both from the standpoint of like getting to know people, but also something where I felt I could contribute a bit more because as someone who experiences some of these issues to be able to empathize with what people are going through in a way that there are certain things that I may not have been as able to do. I'm actually quite presently surprised that um, people reach out to you, you know, with the work that you do at Elf in the Room. So you know, there's kind of like a, uh, there's a bit of a relationship that builds there between you, both of you, and the students at U Ottawa. I, I was so flattered when, when you reached out to us, actually, Bianca. Like, I wasn't expecting that. And when I read it, I, I was like, that's so cool that that you wanted to do that and that we were able to, to sort of make this happen. So it's wonderful you. to have you. I think it's such an important discussion just as much as you do. So um, I'm happy to share the information with everyone and I think that we can really use it especially this time in November uh so yeah and I'll just um throw the ball to you Nick could you tell us a little bit about why you joined uh Elephant in the Room and eventually became co-president sure I'd be happy to um <laughs> a bit of a story so if you need to cut me off at one point uh just let me know uh Matt I had I had uh, as long as we've been friends I had no idea that you were diagnosed with that so kudos to you brother um and so, so the reason why I got involved, um, <laughs> it really started, I guess, when I was, uh, my, my story with mental health or interaction with mental health started uh, really watching my brother grow up, um, facing some, some struggles dealing with uh, mental health. There was a, a point in time where um, he was being diagnosed for schizophrenia and uh, bipolar disorder. They still really don't know how to label it. Um, but it was quite a process, and I remember the way he was treated by friends and family and uh, the institutions at the time, and I wasn't too pleased with uh, with the sort of treatment and the lack of resources. I remember coming to law school, and the first day, the very first day, because uh, I had started to have these conversations, because at that point, it was such a normal part of my life that, like, how could I not? And uh, I would get the stink eye sometimes, and you just had to pick the right environment, the right crowd. I remember times where I scared people with some of the stories I would share. So I am selective, and I, I am very aware of the stigma. 
Um, but the first day of law school, Elephant in the Room presented. It was uh, Paige Miltenberg and uh, a few others. And I was just so impressed and so pleased. And it was such like a breath of fresh air to know that I was in a space where we could actually share these things and not only share them, but we could actually learn how to do something about them. Um, it was mesmerizing to me. And uh, it's something that I just ran with as soon as I, I could. Uh, not to say that I haven't dealt with my own mental health issues. Um, and, and I've even, I've seen doctors, I've, 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 whatever, I've went through all of the, uh, the paths that you can possibly take. I think I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. Um, and, uh, and so it's really put things in perspective, um, regardless of a diagnosis of a label of whatnot. Um, these are things, like I said, that, uh, that are so prevalent in our society that to ignore them is, uh, is foolish in my opinion. You raise a good point. You don't need to be diagnosed to be suffering from mental health issues. Sometimes you just know. Um, and I appreciate your, both of your openness, um, with, your personal struggles and the people around you. I just want to say that off the bat. Um, I almost feel like I need to share too. I suffered, uh, I was actually diagnosed with suffering from a burnout, which is obviously a type of depression uh, about, I think it was four years ago. I can definitely relate to what you're saying. And this is why we're here today, because there are some people out there who are going through the same thing. um, And that needs some kind of just hope that someone is out there and someone's listening to them. And I think that's what the elephant in the room brings to the students, especially in law school. We're going to get to that, but law school in general, it can be quite tough on the mental health we're not going to hide that. Yeah. And, and thank you for, for sharing that. So let me just say, I'm so happy that you're, that you're here and that you're part of UL. So thank happy. you so much. Also one thing, just based on what Nick said, shout out to Paige. Uh, she she started this a few years ago, and I mean, it, it is impossible to put into words what she and some of her friends at the time, then including Nick last year, were able to do and, and put Elephant Therm in a position to do. Law school wouldn't be the same without it. Yeah, so it was Paige, I think it was Danny, Tim was involved too. There, there were a, a number of people, and I apologize to anyone that, that I, I've missed. Um, and so I believe that was three years ago. They started, so Elephant Therm is a national organization. And they um, they created this U Ottawa chapter specific sort of to the law school, um, largely because they recognized that these issues persist and that there are not as many resources or spaces to address them in as as potentially there could be. Uh, and so they got it started. And by the time I think Nick and I started, it was still in its infancy it was in its second year and so like when when Paige spoke and when um, Doran Gold spoke that was really eye-opening to me during orientation um, but yeah so Elephant Learn is, is pretty recent at at the university um, and due in large part to what Paige and and her friends were able to that's do. great so shout out to Paige then <laughs> absolutely. absolutely so I would love to go through some of the um some of the mental health issues and just issues in general with uh, law school as we know it right now in the COVID uh, Zoom times. So I just want to start off with one of the ones I've heard of so often before even coming to law school, which is imposter syndrome. So I would love to to hear what you have to say about it, um, what it is, and what can we do about it. I mean, I know we're not psychologists here, but... Uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have some pretty valuable tips for our listeners. I'm such an imposter. <laughs> That's <laughs> what it day. is, right? 
right? Every day I can't be who I think I am or who I want to be, right? It's so monumental. No. Um, and it's not in, it's not specific to, like I said, the profession as well. I, I was in banking beforehand. And so when you had your other guest in, from Scotiabank, I actually did that job for about uh, six years. And uh, same thing, same, same feeling, never went away. Same transition, just different aspects. Um, it does actually seem a little bit bigger as a law student. I will say some of the issues that you deal with seem so important for society, for civic duty, for public interest, that it can be quite overwhelming. And that's where I feel that sense of imposter syndrome, like who am I to judge or who am I to be involved in this uh, subject matter sometimes. But you have to get over that. And at the end of the day, someone's got to do it. And understanding that you're going to make mistakes as you go through it, I think. I think imposter syndrome, and it, it can't really be discussed without talking about perfectionism, at least from my perspective. I don't know if that's over, overly general. But um, part of being an imposter is, is I think, for me, uh, this, this need to be perfect. And uh, nobody's perfect. So regardless, you're going to end up feeling that way. So, I mean... It's That's true. Even very experienced lawyers still feel imposter syndrome because no matter where you go, it doesn't leave you really. Right. If you care about what you do, um, you're you know it's it's that important to you. There's going to be that sense mm-hmm. of. Caution. And I like what you said about perfectionism because it's true that um, it does kind of come from. Now that I think about it, it does kind of come from a sense of wanting to be perfect, wanting to be a great lawyer. If we're talking about law students and you know, have the best grades. And uh, I always feel the same way when you hear the peers around you talking, everyone else is so smart. You know, what am I doing here? Especially uh, first year. What am I doing here? I must have been admitted by mistake. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, imposter syndrome is, is a difficult one. And it's something that, you know, I think Nick and I hear about a lot when we're sort of canvassing topics and ideas for elephants in the room um sort of outreach activities it's oh like can we can we do a little something on imposter syndrome we had a panel yesterday where one of the questions was about that and i think a lot of things go into it in in the law school context i mean it's law itself is a competitive adversarial system and then you get a bunch of people who are sort of used to being successful um, and used to being kind of top of the food chain. It's sort of like when, you know, a really good high school athlete goes to a D1 college program and realizes, wait, like, all the people around me are really good at what they do. But what I would say is that one, one of our worst habits in life and in law school is measuring our success by external metrics. So, it's important, I think, to remember that this experience does not look the same for everyone. There can be pressure, yes, but there is so much potential to make this into something really awesome. So, you know, it's sort of funny. I was, I was thinking over these questions last night, and I have, I've been watching this docu-series with a friend of mine uh, called Hip Hop Evolution, and sort of, this is a sort of odd segue. But last night we were watching this episode and the interviewer was talking to P. Diddy and he's talking about his approach to producing and creating music. And he was saying, like, I couldn't do what Dr. Dre was doing. I just like I couldn't do that. I wasn't as good as him at those things, but I could make people or I can make music that made people feel good. And that's the approach I took. 
And so like, to me, one of the lessons there is that is one of the most successful people in the music industry. And he's straight up saying, I wasn't as good at this one thing as Dr. Dre, another extremely successful person in the music industry. And so I think it's about finding what matters to you and recognizing that's not going to be the same as even some of your best friends and staying true to that and doing your best to sort of stay above the noise. I know particularly second year rolls around and I, we're going to talk about this later, I think, but like the OPIs and the recruitment process and it gets really awkward sometimes. But ultimately, I think the best tip I can give you, which is easier said than done, is that stick to what got you here. Trust in yourself and that process and be patient with yourself. Huge. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're, I always, I try to tell people all the time, be kind to other people and to yourself and be patient with other people and with yourself. And if you do those things, you focus on learning just in your way, at your pace, everything kind of falls into place. Don't worry about, oh, well, like the, for the person next to me, she's brilliant. She gets, because you know what? Maybe she has a background in something that you didn't have, like you don't know. And ultimately, just be confident and trust yourself because we, we pick this new world, this new language up at different paces. And it's okay to take, take your time and take your different path to that, to that sort of ultimate goal. Make the experience your own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then who are, then what are you an imposter to at the end of the day, if you make the experience your own, right? And then this, this sense of imposter, where, where do you actually see this so-called imposter, this, this ideal in, in real life? Like where? That reminds me of something I heard and I, I, I'm not going to try to repeat it because I butcher it. So, but to paraphrase it, it's essentially like if you keep pushing yourself to succeed based on other people's goals or other people's definitions of success, those aren't your goals and that's not your success anymore. So yeah, like it's about what, what you need for you and being sort of honest with yourself to pursue those things. And, and like that genuinely, like I promise you will be able to sort of just be proud of what you did with this experience at the end of that. Yeah. I don't ever want to look back on my time in law school and say, not necessarily that I shouldn't have done this or that that's going to happen, but that I tried to be someone who Mm -hmm. I wasn't make your own path. That's what's important. There's not just one way to succeed in law school or in life in general. There's so many different ways and you need to keep your own. That's a big stigma in the industry. Um, and that's something that we do put, do to ourselves as students, I think. Um, and it's, it's not fair. I think to you're right. So speaking of stigma, this is uh, something important to me. I think that uh, we don't talk about going to therapy very often. I just wanted to hear your opinion on what going to therapy can do for law students if they're having a little bit of trouble with their mental health and, you know, they're just feeling down a little bit. What words of advice would you have to them regarding uh, regarding seeing a therapist? Sure, yeah. Um, so I will start off by saying that I, I see a therapist and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, I, you know... It, I'll put it this way. You know what? It's um, John, John Hamm uh, from Mad Men, like, you know, Don Draper. He, he, I read this interview he did once and he said, it's the equivalent of going to the gym, but for your mind and that you don't have to have something quote unquote wrong with you. You don't have to be, um, you know, up against the ropes or back, back to the ropes 
to seek some guidance and help. And personally, the the person I see, what he and I work on is sort of, he calls it personality schema. Um, and, and essentially it being like, these are the lenses through which you experience life that have to do with sort of my brain chemistry. And so when when you see something that might trigger a particular negative response in you, to be able to take a step back and be like, that's not necessarily true. That is a, a sort of product of these schema. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't create a switch where you just flick a switch. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm good. But it does help contextualize your thought patterns and your responses to things. Um, I understand, or, or rather, I'd rather sort of give a caveat, which is one, obviously, you know, I'm very fortunate that I can go to therapy. Like it, it can be pricey and it can be very tough to find one. So I would say that, um, and, and what I think, you know, we're, we're talking about sort of resources and stuff later on, but that in the context of private therapy, if you can find someone, I encourage you to just like do it, just check in. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing for everyone to do, but also don't be discouraged if you see one or two or three and you're like, eh, I'm not like, like the first person I saw, um, lovely person just wasn't the best fit for me. And then through a recommendation, I was put in touch with Max, who's the, the therapist that I see now. And right away, it was just like, this is great. And so I, I would see him pretty regularly. This is three, four years ago, I think. And I kind of stopped like one, he's back in Toronto. So when I've been in Ottawa, um, I haven't seen him as much. But we pick up right where we, we left off every time I do check in. And there are times where I'll recognize in myself that I'm not quite there. And I'll sort of be like, you know, <laughs> telling myself, yeah, like I should reach out to Max. And I'll let it go another two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And eventually I'm like, okay, like for whatever reason, this was the catalyst. I'm going, I'm talking to him. And I've noticed that like my friends and my family after will be like, you seem good. And you know, that's not a coincidence. It, it just really helps me take a step back, process the things that are swirling around in my head and weighing on me and understand how to make sense of them and how to approach them. That is sort of consistent with, with me and being honest with myself in terms of how I can approach them, how I should approach I them. I love the analogy about there doesn't need to be anything wrong with you to go to the gym necessarily. You can just want to go to the gym for any reason and no one's going to ask, oh, why are you going to the gym? You know, why do you need mm -hmm. to go to the gym? And it's something that I find that we kind of do with therapy is there has to be something wrong, but it's not true. You can just go and you can check in like you said. It's like going to see the doctor. That's nothing yeah. necessarily has to be wrong with you to go for a checkup. Yeah, it's just like, you know, the you don't have to wait for the, the check engine light to come on. You can go and be like, hey, like I just want to make sure that that I'm I'm not slipping into unhealthy habits or that I'm I'm just like it's a way to just be yourself in a hygiene. Yeah, yeah. I love that when Sandra said that yesterday. Just yeah. basic maintenance of your of yourself but it's your mind. Um, yeah, no, I, I love everything that Matt said. Um, for me too, it's, it's a problem. Sometimes I do, I, I, I tend to isolate myself when I know I should be seeking help. 
Um, I don't know if that's a, a thing to do with toxic masculinity or, 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 or whether that's a personal pride thing or, or what it is, but um, it's been hard for me to go ask for help, even though I seem so willing and wanting to help others at times. I don't know if I'm using it as a filler sometimes to distract from my own issues that I need to deal with. Um, and so it's important for me to be aware of that and to recognize it, which I have gotten better at. Um, and then I will reach out through, um, through the MAP program I, I have used, as well as um, the other resources that are available through the faculty. Speaking with Orlando Da Silva has been phenomenal for me. I consider him a mentor, whether or not he does. <laughs> and um, and uh, it's, been, it's been very helpful. Now, in terms of therapy, though, I would say the approach that works best for me, it took a long time to um, recognize and appreciate it, is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, so it's more of a structure similar to a workout routine, um, that I really need to make sure that I don't make it too rigid because otherwise it becomes too, it becomes more stressful rather than helping. Um, but making sure that I can come up with a routine that's flexible enough to adapt to whatever's going on in my life while allowing me to stay, um, on uh, a positive mental mm -hmm. path. Now we're going to move on to OCIs, which we touched on a little bit, but I, uh, as a first year, I can't yet relate completely to the stress of OCIs, but, uh, Nick, could you start us off and uh, kind of explaining maybe what OCIs are for some of our listeners who don't necessarily know that are in first year, possibly, and um, what the process is and what is the stress that can be related to it? Oh, I know. So I'm so familiar with this topic. <laughs> I think I've been through four OCI processes. So if anybody needs help on how to handle the stress of OCI, I hope it went well. Reach out. It did not go oh, well. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I'm very comfortable talking about it. I actually take pride in the fact that I have the opportunity to share this story because I know one day it's going to turn out quite positive. Um, and, 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 and whether or not it, it's recognized by some other institution or firm, I'll start my own business. I really don't care at this point. Not that I don't care. I care. But I just know that where there's a will, there's a way. Um, so OCIs. OCI stands for on-campus interview for those that are unfamiliar. And essentially, it's a structured recruitment process um, that allows particular firms participating to have access to um, uh, basically a streamlined set of applications, um, as well as in ongoing interviews. Um, the interviews will initially, like I said, be on campus. Well, when we're not um, under the current circumstances, and then there will be... Um, in-firm interviews uh, at the offices where you're applying if you're invited. Um, it's a step-by-step -step process. You essentially are, you do your application, you get either accepted or rejected for an interview, accepted or rejected to move on to the next phase, and then you will wait for an offer uh, or a call day on, or a, a call on offer day, sorry. Um, it's a very lengthy process, I think, just because of the volume of students who are applying. It's no secret that there are a limited amount of jobs in these particular areas with these particular firms, and there's many students. Um, so that length of time in between each step of the process can be very distracting. In fact, it did, I will say, take away, I think, from a bit of my law school experience um, over second year. Because I allowed it to. Um, I allowed it to become such a huge focus in my day-to-day -day life. And what I had to realize, and I still struggle with, but uh, we all will. It's the struggle is not the issue. It's how you react to it. But no, just going back to that um, 
control the controllables. That's what I was going to say. Focus on what you can control in those situations. And I think we're such, um, <laughs> as type, lots of type A students, we don't like to lose control of things. Um, it can be very nerve wracking. And this is a process where you have so little control. So that's not to take away from anyone who is successful in any way whatsoever. Um, but at the end of the day, to try to convince yourself that you know what's going on underneath the hood of the car um, from the perspective of an employer or what's behind the curtain um, is it can be quite a futile exercise and something to, you know, take, take the losses, take the L's, learn from your mistakes, but don't beat yourself up. Um, and, and know that, you know, just cause your buddy, like I have a best friend, my best friend in law school is, is a top student uh, only went, th- you know, only had to do one set of applications. We're still best friends. It doesn't change anything. Um, it doesn't make you more or less of a person. Uh, and and just to that effect, um, dealing with that sense of an imposter is it's uh, maybe it's even um, if I can just uh, throw in a little question in there too to to just add maybe also to touch on people that might not necessarily think the OCIs are for them. I think that's kind of interesting that some, you know, there's such a stress around OCIs that it's like, oh my God, I need to apply to the OCIs. I need to apply. But sometimes it's just not the right fit for them, that kind of job they can result in. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm really happy you brought that up. So in first year, uh, you know how you you have peer mm-hmm, mentors? Yeah. Um, so mine, uh, Andrew, was phenomenal. And towards the end of the year, he set up this sort of like little panel of students to talk to my small group about the OCI process. So he had gone government. One of his good friends uh, had gone to the private sector. And then he brought in uh, another one of his friends who I think is at Red Cross. And so someone said, you know, what, how did you handle the stress of the OCI process? And the first two guys answered that the third friend said, she's like, I didn't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, I just opted out. Like, it, it wasn't for me. Um, I applied, you know, I, I was at the NGO and sort of coordinated with them coming back and, you know, loved it. And I thought that was a really, really important, powerful thing for her to say because, I, I mean, for for all the first years who may, who may listen, when you do get into the building at FTX, you'll notice that the majority of the rooms are sponsored by firms and it's firms who show up at OCIs. So there are these subtle indicators from the moment you walk in that like the goal is you go through this recruitment process to wind up in the private sector and serve some form of corporate law. And that, you know, like that's not to knock that path at all. I mean, like I know plenty of people who are doing it and love it. I applied almost exclusively to the public sector and that that is the path that I'm on. I'm very happy with it. But the the sort of the thing is that it's not the end all be all. There are tons of opportunities out there. Um, Nick can correct me on this, but the two of the panelists were saying yesterday that like when they were at Queens together, they were saying like 24% of students got a job through OCIs, but 99% of students find an articling position by the time they graduate. Yep. I heard that. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, you know, whether or not I, I got the numbers perfectly, like that, that's pretty telling that there is this heavily structured process. Essentially, it, it's just easier for 
the employers to sort of get everyone together at one time. It simplifies it for students so that you don't have to go and seek them all out. It's just in this pool that that the university does an excellent job of sort of consolidating for students. But, you know, for example, that first, the OCIC, actual on-campus interviews, the province, like the provincial public sector, doesn't even really show up. A couple of them do. But to put it in perspective, I think it's really important to remember a few things. One is that when it comes to these interviews, you don't get far more than you do get. And it's sort of like, if you're used to sort of being like, yeah, like I, I've been successful at achieving my goals and stuff, you could have 20 interviews and not get a job. Um, so I, I think that by the actual on-campus interview day in 2 the place I ended up working hadn't even opened my application on on the portal and I was like oh like that is kind of discouraging and so then like I went in I did the, the interviews well and then call day for the sort of the quote-unquote infirms comes and they call and they're like oh hey you want to come in for an interview and I was really like caught off guard um and and so it's sort of one of these things where that day came and everyone's like oh yeah I got like 12 interviews blah blah, blah. I, I'm sort of like I didn't but I just went in like, you know what, I'll go to the ones that I have and then we'll see what happens. And then all of the public sector <laughs> ended up calling because they just didn't for that first day. So in terms of the, you know, you lose more than you win, um, it's not a loss if you don't get that job. Like, quite frankly, when they tell you that, oh, like we're assessing fit, you probably wouldn't be happy in the long term if you got a place that that didn't think you really fit in with its culture. And so don't compromise and try to sort of adjust who you are to fit with what you think in your, your second year of law school is your dream employer. Um, and, and you really never know what, what happened. I mean, for example, maybe the person who reviewed your application had a migraine that day and was just like, None of these are good. I don't. I don't want any of these applications. Uh, and and you, or maybe maybe they got engaged the night before, and they're like, everyone's awesome. Welcome to the team. I don't want to. Re- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's sort of. And and so what I mean is that you send it in, and they have to, like all of these employers have to be so particular, filtering through this process because they get thousands of applicants, and it, it's hard. I think. Well, rather, it's easier said than done. To be like, oh, don't take it personally. But it's just, it's so important to remember, like, don't let this discourage you because there are so many opportunities out there. And quite frankly, there are opportunities arising all the time. Like, so it might take you going out there and creating one or finding one, but that doesn't mean they're not there. And one of the things actually I really love about Ottawa is that if you have a particular interest in an area of law, there's probably a path for you to explore it. And if there's not, there's almost certainly a space to create one. And I think that being able to do that, just pursue the things you're genuinely interested in and things do sort of like, it will work out. Uh, also, I want to echo what, what Nick said, which is anyone who's listening, um, if you have any questions about the process or like particular um you know, like specific to a role, like I, I mostly did public sector, um, please reach out. You can, you know, Facebook, email, whatever. 
and I'm more than happy to, to, you know, to chat and give you as much advice as I can, because no one, no one should have to do this alone. Like it's, it's strange because during OCIs, everyone's going through it. This, this week actually was, um, the articling infirm week. And it's weird because it's sort of like, you kind of feel like no one's doing it because I'm just sitting in a sitting in a box staring at a screen all day. And so it was very different. Um, it was. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. And that if there's a silence on call day, that can be deafening and really deflating. But I would just say that Twitter and the Internet is just replete with stories of people saying, I didn't get that call and I love what I do now, five years later, 10 years later. Um, and so it will, be, it will seem like so crucial and critical to you in the moment. And honestly, if you go in, you find a job you want, you get it, props. Like that is amazing and I'm very happy for you. Um, but I think the focus of this conversation is really that keep going and find, carve out that path that you want for yourself if it doesn't work out. Um, and at that point, like it's, it's tough to really say more than that, other than just don't, don't change who you are fundamentally to get a job. Like they, the, the jobs are there and you can pursue them and find stuff that you will absolutely love down the road. It's not a form of validation at the end of the day. And, um, looking back, I feel pretty grateful for how I didn't always handle it well, but um, I'm grateful for the lessons that I learned along the way. And it's funny too, because I look back at some of the conversations that I had with people at, at firms that I was interested in as I was uh, preparing my applications and uh, they were giving me advice on, on how to approach it and how to stand out and this and that. And I just remembered to like one of the associates talking about how the thing that stood out to them the most about a particular candidate was the fact that like they wrote down how they're a chicken wing connoisseur on their resume. And I'm just like, you know, that's fantastic. They're a chicken wing connoisseur, but I don't really understand why that's the thing that stood out the most. Um, <laughs> and so these are the things that can become part of the process. So like I said, when, when you focus on the controllables, you don't know at the end of the day what that, how busy that other person is, what caught their eye, what didn't catch their eye. And uh, you just keep on moving forward. Uh, and, and to that effect, I've actually been able to engage in experiences that I would have never imagined. This past summer, uh, rather than working at a firm, I was fortunate enough to receive an internship opportunity with uh, the Center for Environmental Law and Global Sustainability on, on campus, where I worked under uh, Professor Shally Four, who just presented at the Supreme Court of Canada on the GGPA case, as well as uh, Professor McLeod Kilmurray. They became great mentors. I don't think I would have learned those research skills if I hadn't had that opportunity. Um, and I think my hourly rate was pretty phenomenal. <laughs> um, so I, I, it worked out quite well. I was able to do two courses, so I'm, I'm well on my way to graduating at the same time. I did my major research paper. Um, I made the most out of it despite having to deal with that. And I think if I look back and didn't make the most of the bad situation, I'd be more upset about that than having not got the job. Um, and, and that's the approach I try to take. It's hard. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, one day at a time. One thing that I, I love that Nick said was him the lessons that he learned from that. And that's why I was trying to kind of walk back what I said of like you lose more than you win. It's I think the more appropriate thing is sort of the the cliche sports quote of like you you win or you learn. Um but it's true in this case. Like 
I've told people, even if you don't really want to do OCIs, I'd still apply to a few just to get an understanding of what it like, what it's like to put together an application. Um, but the two things that I really, really want to stress for anyone who is preparing for the process. Also, I know that like the, the timeline switch because of COVID has made it even more stressful. And like my heart goes out to, to all of you for that. Um, and I, I'm going to do my best sort of, I, I think elephant in the room is going to try to sort of support students in some way. We're going to, we'll figure that out. But the two things I want to say is that you should do, do your best and prepare your best within your abilities. Don't measure yourself against your ideal form or you firing on all cylinders and say like, well, if I were like at my absolute best, I would have killed that. Because you need to work within your limits, particularly during a global pandemic where we're confined to screens all day, you might not be at your best. And so as long as you prepare in a way that is not pushing yourself to an unhealthy limit, you should be proud of yourself and you should hold your head up high knowing that you did what you could with what was available to you and what you can expect of yourself. The second thing is that it is totally okay to be upset if it doesn't work out for you while also being very happy for your friends. It's sort of this, it can be a tough thing where you're sort of like, I've struggled with that. And it's totally normal. And, and that's totally normal, right? Like it's, it's something where it's, it's hard to sort of remove ourselves from the, from that emotion or that experience. But I, I just want to say that for people who find themselves in that position, don't feel guilty if you feel kind of dejected or let down. And it's, it's absolutely okay to be really happy for people and to celebrate them while also kind of feeling the sting. So no matter what happens, let yourself just feel through it. Um, and for people who are successful, be, be gracious. Um, you know, that is a huge thing because this, it can really sort of upset the balance that people are experiencing in school. And, you know, uh, worse than, uh, than a sore loser is a sore winner. So if you, if you get a, a good, a gig that you really like, do your best to help the people out who haven't yet. Keep, keep your eyes and ears open for, experiences that you think you know because you'll know better than anyone uh except for themselves what might interest them if these are your friends and say hey like i was talking to this person um one, one of my best friends my uh my former roommate sabrina posted this thing on instagram that was like you know be friends with people who say your name in a room full of opportunities and i love mm. that because it's sort of like ottawa i i genuinely think has a has a sense of community that was not present, at least at my undergrad, and is is here. And people want to help each other out. And that's why I keep saying, like, if you're a 1L or a 2L and you have questions, reach out to, to me, reach out to upper year students, TAs, peer mentors. We are all here. And, you know, we, we took on those roles knowing that there was going to be a bit more that we needed to give this year because people starting law school right now don't have those sort of organic opportunities of getting just chat with people in the halls and the atrium. And so 
we we are here absolutely and in full force to guide you how many members how many teammates do we have now we have a ton of people to reach out to i don't even can't even keep track anymore yeah and it's like you'd be surprised at how connected you are like i guarantee you you know someone who knows someone that had that experience and just like talking about it and this goes back to sort of the core mandate of elephant in the room is that we want people comfortable talking about the things that are weighing on them, the bad things, the things that they need to process and deal with. And when you do that, there are so many sort of, um, the word is escaping me, sort of like so, so many uh, resources. Silver linings. Yeah, silver linings, resources, opportunities out there. And when you talk about these things, people can say, hey, you know what? I've been there myself and it's okay. There might not be a, a silver bullet that will like make the situation perfect and make you super happy in that moment. But it helps just to sort of feel to be able to talk about these things and to feel heard and to let people say, you know what, I've been there and I'm good. I'm okay. So that that's why like, you know, it sounds like a broken record about like the reach out and like of the events and stuff. But I really do think it helps. And I wouldn't be saying this if I did not. I love the words of encouragement and just uh, specifying that there are so many resources for people out there, especially we're going to get to it. But just the fact that you're alone in your room all the time, it kind of feels like no one's there. Like, you know, it's just you against everything. (laughs) But it's not like there's so many people out there that are ready to help you. Like you said, the mentors too. shout out to my mentor, Sue. She's great. But yeah, so just kind of just extending on this topic here that we kind of touched on before, but I'd love to talk about the student life balance and student burnout. I think if I calculated it right, I think that uh, the university or universities in general say that you, a class of three credits would take about nine to 10 hours a week uh, if you include like class time and study time and everything. So some students have five to six classes. I have six classes. So, you know, that's that's more than a full-time job. Uh, so what are some of the things that, that you suggest to try to not fall into that, the burnout, that kind of pit and just having, you know, keeping a balance between your social life and, and your studying? That uh, the going back to that structure and routine, I think, is more crucial now than than ever. I think this is this is a time of year where um, it is very that you can't sugarcoat it. Um, and then when you have that type of course load, it's it's like it's a rite of passage. At the end of the day, whether it's right or wrong, it's currently um, the process and the way things are done. Um, and you are learning a lot along the way. I, I keep on f- coming back to rather than focusing on the end result, focus on the journey. When you're going through that, focus on you're the one you know that's that's paying for law school. You're the one that's receiving this product. You're the consumer, um, and so you take from it what you need to take from it, um, and and don't make it about achieving necessarily some arbitrary um, objective uh, or form of like I said validation. Um, but it's again, it's the structure and routine is gonna have it, it is gonna be ramped up. It, it wouldn't be fair for me to sit here and say that you, that the balance is going to be pristine during that period of time. You're gonna make the most out of a difficult situation, and you're gonna look back on your and, and be very happy with yourself and what you were able to accomplish. Um, but yeah, again, not not easy. And and please, during this time, especially during this virtual school or curriculum, um, please reach out. 
that study group um, that you'd mentioned earlier, uh, Bianca, is, is a phenomenal just idea. Just to elaborate on that, I was just saying um, before we started recording that I'm in a small program and we decided to create a little Zoom study room that's always open. We have one of our, well, one of my peers is, has a, a premium Zoom account. Thank you, Francois, by the way, shout out. Uh, <laughs> but we basically have a, a Zoom room that's open 24-7. So it's kind of like our virtual version of like our study room if we would be at uh, UOttawa. So we can just kind of pop in at any time and, and uh, you know, just if we want company while we study. So that's great. And uh, I would definitely suggest it because I would say that I've made really great friends in my program. And that's quite amazing to say when uh, we're all virtual and I've never seen them in person. Uh, so it's quite awesome. amazing. So I highly suggest if you can do that to to try and set that up and just get to know each other more. And it kind of touches back on the fact that we're all in this together. It's great to have the support. And if you know your peers a little better, then it makes it even easier. Talk about the readings, split them up if you want. That's one thing I wish I did more was be less hands-on. Like I said, I felt like I needed to go through every line meticulously and uh, it can backfire. Work work as a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love that you're doing that, uh, Bianca. I, I think, you know, one, one of the cool things in first year was even though, like, yes, this can experience can be competitive or whatever, like at least I was in the CRIM group, which I, I love. and we all made an effort to help one another. So there were times where uh, I remember during the final final exam season, a good friend of mine messaged me saying, hey, how'd the, how'd the crim exam go? And I was like, you know, it was all right, whatever. Like, And he, he seemed like a little bit just slightly off at the time. So I'm like, how are you doing, by the way? Just like wanted to check in. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm actually great. I was just kind of tired. How are you? And I said, well, I'm woefully underprepared for contracts. But aside from that, like things are good. So he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And this was around like 11 a.m. He's like, noon, get to FTX and we're going through it. And we sat there for like eight hours going through everything together. And other people started coming up to us, be like, mind if I jump in? And then like friends of ours would message being like, hey, are you guys going to do that for torts next week? We're like, yeah, like for sure. And I'll let you know. And so it, it adds to that sort of like solidarity thing and you just get to know each other. You get to hear different people's perspectives. I mean, I'm someone, and like my family kind of teases me about this. I can bring anything back to a sports comparison. <laughs> Amazing. And No, but like for me, that is just like the simplest ways to understand something. And so I'll like, I'll be talking about anything and they'd be like oh like this is actually like you know an nhl exam. but that like i had a prof last year who was very much like that and like he would refer to, to you know the the tsn turning point in a cross examination and it was like things like that where like people have different ways of communicating and you might have an absolutely brilliant professor but if your method of learning doesn't match their method of teaching you might still struggle and so getting to talk with with other people who are in your position is such a beneficial experience. So I love that you guys are doing that over Zoom. I'm TAing right now for first-year students, and I am blown away at how enthusiastic the Wells are because, again, it's not lost on, on me that this is not a good time to be starting law school but they are sort of critical and thoughtful and engaged. And it is amazing to see they're making efforts socially 
which is, I think, more important than making the academic effort. Like, you'll learn this. You will. It's just like it. it These skills don't go on a resume. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, and you, you. It's like it's so much more important. I think to just like get to know the people here. Like, there are some amazing people at this school and on this faculty. And you would be doing yourself a disservice, not spending time with them and getting to know them and just hearing their perspectives on life. It really has enriched my life and my thinking, getting to know the people that I have gotten to know here. And, but I would say like, I'm not, um, I'm not like type A or the model student in a way that a lot of people in law school are. So there, there are times where I'm like, yeah, I need to catch up, but my brain's kind of like, nah. I don't really want to do this right now. And the Raptors are playing and I'll watch them. And I, I remember at the beginning of the year, uh, Professor Collins saying like, it's almost never worth it to push yourself and read that last 15 pages at the expense of two hours of sleep. You're just, you're not processing the information. And so I'm a huge advocate of set your set a work curfew. Just shut your work brain down by 9 p.m., 10 p.m., and do things to disengage. I mentioned that docuseries, Hip Hop Evolution, earlier. That was something that we started watching, like a, a good friend of mine and I, just like watch an episode every night through Netflix Party, or I guess it's called Teleparty now. But it's just sort of a way to say, you know what? We're, we're done working for the day. Let's do something that's fun that we can think about, but that isn't taxing. And it's, it's a way to stay connected with people. I think it's incredibly easy to say, but hard to implement knowing that you can't consistently give your best if you aren't tr like looking after yourself. And no one, no one is on all day long. You can't just sit there and read. And like, I, I mean, I'm sure you're experiencing this, Bianca, like it's almost comical, the volume that you have to deal with in first year. I've learned quickly to filter out what is essential and what is a little bit less essential. That, that's amazing because honestly, it took me a while. Like I, I personally find or found that like myself and most of my peers, I don't think really hit our stride till like February of first year. And, it, it, you know, I, I've been going through some of my students like briefing cases and saying, don't overdo the facts section. Like you get so bogged down in that you think everything is important. And in doing that, I would look back at my notes from first year being like, damn, no wonder my summaries were like 150 pages. There's so much yeah. useless information. So much background, like foundation after foundation after foundation. It's like, all right, we don't need this anymore. It's already sitting there. <laughs> exactly. And, and so, it, you know, it's, the single most important thing, honestly, like I would say, if you take nothing else from what I've said, and I'm not really qualified to say anything, so take it all. <laughs> but it's that whatever, whatever makes you, you keep doing that thing. So if you like love playing uh, an instrument, find time to do that. Even if it's just 10 minutes, 15 minutes, um, Sports are kind of a no-go right now with COVID, but like, it, you know, it, it's sort of like in the, the, if we return to normalcy, then getting involved in intramurals. I remember at the end of 1L, uh, a bunch of guys in, in Krems started going to play basketball. And then it grew a sort of group where a lot of our friends would be like, hey, we do an open gym today. And it was just like a nice way to sort of decompress when we finish classes. So keep doing those things, whether it is, drawing, music, any form of art, 
I am a huge proponent of reading. I didn't start reading fiction until first year of law school. Really? Yeah. I, That's fascinating. I, 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 was, I was so obnoxious. Oh my it. gosh, I love fiction. What the heck, Matt? I, I would just be like, it's not real. What's the point? And then I started reading novels and fell in love with it. Nice. And so now like, I've got one right in front of me behind my laptop here. What is it? It's called The Belgariad. Okay. It's a series of shorter books. It's kind of like a mythical uh, Game of Thrones adjacent thing. I love that stuff. Anything that involves dragons and magic, sign me up. It's exactly like that. It was something a friend recommended to me. Mindless too. Well, that's, that's the most important thing. Like, I don't have to love everything I'm reading. But I do it because because the thing is, like everyone used to say to me, like you read all day for school. Why do you read for fun? And I was like, because with school, you don't actually even know what's important to you, right? Or what, what's important. Like you're like, you're trying to parse out the essential from the non-essential. Whereas when you're reading for fun, it is what it is to you. Like you, you go and you read it and like you may look back and be like, I don't actually remember a whole lot from that, but that's okay. It's just, this is something that I'm doing for me. And the thing I absolutely love about it is that you can't really read while doing something else. Because I used to be like, I'll go and watch a show or do something. And what's been like the whole time on my phone. Reading, I would find him like, I put my phone away. It's on silent. And I just sit there. And so I started reading before bed. And sometimes I would read for like an hour and a half if my mind was racing. And sometimes I'd read for 10 minutes and be like, you know what? I think I, <laughs> I kind of want to go to bed now. And so, yeah, it's it, it has been so uh, beneficial to my mental health. And, you know, it, what works for me may not work for you, but that's an example of something that has, has really helped me. And I encourage, like, if, if you enjoy reading, I would encourage setting aside some time to do that. And, you know, it, but really it's just whatever that hobby or interest is that really sort of ignites your interest in a way that, that, is tied to your humanity because it is so much more important to be this a, a sort of complete holistic human than to be just like a laser focused nails losted. The law will always be there. The importance of uh, taking a break from time to time cannot be underestimated, I've found. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to unplug. And I always say there's always going to be more work. <laughs> <laughs> so you might as well just like go to bed and take the night off if you cannot concentrate anymore. There's always going to be work. One of my favorite things. Can I ask you a question, Bianca? Yes, please. How did you spend your reading week? Great question. Um... Not as I would have hoped, um, just kind of more stressed out about preparing outlines and, you know, preparing for the finals and catching up, honestly, on some of the reading and some of the lectures. So it was a little bit stressful and I actually had the goal coming into reading week and I've talked to my friends about this. I said, I'm going to take at least, you know, the whole day Friday and the whole day Saturday off, just doing what I want to do. And turns out, I didn't actually take a day off and I'm actually ashamed because uh, yeah, the stress got to me to be honest. And, um, and uh, I really think I would have benefited from taking a few days off. So I'm glad you asked because uh, I don't think reading week was perfect for many students either. Yeah. I, I know. Like I said to my students, like the books will be there when you're back. Seriously, take a, take a day, take two days, I mean, ideally the week, but that's going to be tough. But it's it's important to remember that like you can burn out doing something you love. It's sort of it's your brain's way and your body's way of saying I don't want to do this anymore or I can't do this to this degree. 
And so I, I appreciate your, um, your, your honesty with respect to reading week, because a lot of the time, at least in like undergrad, like it was a vacation for me like i was just like, yeah i like there were i remember in second year undergrad like my friends and i went to cuba yeah reading week meant vacation didn't mean reading what the heck yeah and, and now it's sort of like everyone's like no i'm so behind and i need to catch up and do this and do that and now it's catch-up week yeah and for for any first years who had that experience i will say one you're halfway through your first semester that is that is an achievement and like take some pride in that i hope that you are able to take some time and reflect on how far you've come and really what's just a few short months. But also second semester is so much slower and you will have time to actually like do things. So hang in there for the next six weeks, which is crazy to me that it's like about six weeks until unbelievable. I know, but you know, it's like you guys are doing great. Keep pushing through November sucks. Like it just does in first year. There's really no way around that. But, you know, like the, there are community supports and there are other students and people who want you to succeed. So, like I said, again and again and again, hang in there and it gets so much better once you pass this first step or this first stage. One day at a time. Yeah. Headspace app really helps. Yeah. Shout out Headspace. I use it. I use it. I, I use it all the time. Frivolously. Yeah. Nick, would you say, when would you say that you kind of... Um... You finally got into the flow in first year of being able to balance everything out. I was out of school for six years in a sales environment. I had one of these on all day, these headsets (laughs) all day. Um, And so it was very different. And uh, it took quite a bit of adjusting. Um, and it wasn't fun all the time. But uh, it probably took me until, yeah, I could say February or um, probably March uh, when I started to really feel more of a of a workflow but you know what i can't even really say that it happened during my first year if i really am not being honest with myself um i think i started to change my approach to law school too rather than be so gung-ho and almost maniacal at times about the content and how uh privileged i felt to be part of it um to take a step back and balance that out with the tools and skills that i want to put in my toolbox um, for the type of lawyer, advocate, researcher, writer that I want to be um, when I graduate. And once I started to balance the content with the skill sets, um, I started to achieve more of that flow. It also took time to understand then once I figured out each of those areas, um, what did I want to gravitate towards? I personally believe that it's very difficult for any individual to be exceptional at all three advocacy, writing, and research, you typically find um, there there will be two that coincide and will um, really shine through um, a particular individual. And so it, it takes time to to understand what works for you. Uh, it took me more than one year, probably a year and a half. And um, and once I figured out what worked for me, I, I, I felt the flow. Mm-hmm. And um, just to kind of touch back on the title of this podcast uh do we have any advice for students that for the law students right now going through this phenomenon called zoom fatigue uh and just the e-learning environment and how we can deal with it it's certainly different than being in person i think making sure you get outside is very important i know it's scary i even find i have i do have my anxieties and i find myself even holding my breath when i walk by someone it's probably not healthy same 
right? Um, and then the next thing you know, like I've got shortness of breath as I'm supposed to be on this <laughs> relaxing walk. And uh, <laughs> um, but but get outside, keep things in perspective. Even I learned this from my past uh, the work experience. I, I make sure that I change my screen settings throughout the day. I make sure that the light is uh, the night the night mode is on because I know how it affects my eyes, and then I get jittery or nauseous. Um, stretching is important. Uh, watch your volume. Uh, if you're listening to music when you're studying, be aware of your mood swings. Um, use use it as a tool. Control the beat, um, and if it gets away from you, then just take a break. Uh, that's that's probably some of the. I'll I'll keep it simple. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. I would just add like I have these blue light glasses that I bought before we started the semester. Very nice. I thought I would need them, and I find that they're helping because I think that you know my headaches and the eye strain would probably be a lot worse if I didn't have them. So that's my tip. I went to get a massage even the other day because my neck was killing me just from using the dual monitors, right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's a nice thing to have. You do actually have access to benefits. I believe I can make a claim. I'll double check. Yeah. Okay. Um, Matt, any advice uh, on your side or anything that you wanted to add? Um, I, I'd like to co-sign your blue light glasses endorsement. <laughs> um, I've been using them since, I think, the fall of first year. And they have made a tremendous difference with migraines. Like I have light sensitivity. So um, I would find that like, for example, sitting in a dimly lit lecture room, looking at PowerPoints for like four or five hours a day was giving me really bad pressure migraines. So the, the glasses help with that. They also help with, uh, with sleep because blue light inhibits um, sort of melatonin production and our I'm not going to try to actually like make it sound like I understand. Well, it does sound like you understand. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> but basically, it disrupts our our body's sleep processes, um, and it makes us think it's sort of like it's time to be up and about when it's really time to go to bed. Yeah, it's your biological clock. Mm-hmm. Back from like the farmer days and stuff. Um, take breaks is, is a big one. Like there are some times where I'll just go be like, okay, I have 20 minutes before my next class. I'm just going to go for a walk around the block. One thing I'm struggling with is that I attend my classes in my bedroom. I don't like it. I don't like working in the room that I sleep in, but it's, that's just sort of, you know, it's a quiet space. Yeah. Like that's the space I have. Right. So I would say like, if you, if you are in a position to separate your workspace from your sort of personal sleep space, your bedroom, whatever. Like, I, I think it's a good thing to do. Um, but if you can't, you know, try to shut down the work aspect of it by a certain time. But most importantly, in terms of Zoom school and Zoom fatigue, is that it's normal and you're, you're doing great. It's okay to not feel like you're fully yourself or you're as engaged as you would like to be. Um, and, you know, the professors are, are doing an awesome job, in my observation. That said, it's, yeah, like I think this, that the university has, has adjusted as well as, as anyone could hope for. That being said, it's, it's difficult to communicate through Zoom. And so you might find yourself being like, yeah, like I wish I were more engaged or more interested. But um, like I said, be patient with yourself because and and with your professors they're they're doing their absolute best but it really like i I wish there was like a simple thing for me to say me like oh if you do this but 
I'm still learning it myself. I think we're all adjusting to this different form of learning that sort of contradicts how we have all learned growing up. But honestly, I don't really have much, much other than that. Blue light glasses, take break, be patient. No, but we are social creatures. So it's, uh, it's definitely different and it's definitely hard to adapt to. But if I can just add about working in the same room that you sleep in, because I do. I found that kind of separating, I have my desk here, my office desk. So separating this is like my workspace. And uh, when I actually finish working, I put my computer, I shut it off. I don't put it sleep mode because I don't want to Good call. come back. My, my computer is like my workspace now. One thing that I loved um, working over the summer was that I had a work laptop and I could just shut it down. Like I would be like, okay. Work is done. I didn't have a work phone. And I was always like, the people, like my direct supervisors have my number. If they need something, they can reach me. But it, it was a good way to sort of be like, you know what? I, I'm not going to be consistently checking my inbox and things like that. Like I could separate that part of my day and my life from the part that is mine um, or just, you know, sort of free time. And so I, I like that, that you are able to do that because I think it's, hugely important and if it's if it's something that you're able to do i i encourage you to do it and speaking about the phone i uh like outlook or if you still have the gmail you auto email whatever email that you have for school i found a lot of value in just turning off the notifications like it's okay like you don't need to be reached all the time you can just shut it off and when you have the time to check your inbox then you do that but it doesn't have to be on all the time same thing for Brightspace or whatever platform that you use at your law school. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Sh- shutting your, your notifications down. I remember in, I think, my first year, um, Professor Dames has said something like when he's talking to other professors, he recommends that they don't contact students outside of business hours. Uh, unless it's like, like you know, um, like if they email with you with, with an individual specific question, sure. But it's sort of like, and I think that we're learning new rules and new boundaries with respect to um, virtual communication, because like we've talked about today, like you're technically always reachable. That doesn't mean that you need to be always available. And Just because you can. Yeah. And so it's sort of this thing where I think that, you know, the communication depends a lot on the sort of the context of your relationship with the person sending or receiving it. Because quite frankly, if it's your boss or your prof, if they send you something at 930, even if they say, oh, like, you don't have to respond to this right away, you're immediately going to be like, okay, this is important because they're sort of in a position of authority or, you know, they're teaching me or I I work for them. Whereas like if your friend messages you something, I mean, I I have a far easier time. I'll tell a friend, be like, hey, I'm not ignoring this. Um, I'm just kind of in the middle of something. I'll get back to you in the morning or something. Uh, than I would if, if my boss sent me something. I would be like, oh, shoot, no, I need to respond right away. The stress, the work brain comes on. It, it, yeah, for sure. And I think that we all should consciously sort of assess what impact that sending that message at that time will have on the person we're sending. Empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, empathy is, is very cool in right now. Rethink it before you send the email at 10 p.m., you know. <laughs> Knee-jerk reactions can backfire. Yeah, I, that goes for me, too. I need to unplug sometimes, too, from the emails, to be honest. 
but uh just uh just to conclude the podcast today yeah you both can chime in here just uh to leave off some some of our listeners with some uh some online resources for them regarding mental health. We're going to link all of these in the show notes. Certainly. So there is a, there's a main page um, and we'll add it into the notes and it'll go over some self, some there's, I think it's called Tau therapy assistance online um, that the school pays for. So that's some, that's a resource you can use digital resource that will allow you to actually pursue your own uh, therapy and do it in your own way. Um, That's a great one. There's the map program, uh, Matt, if you want to jump in, I know there's there's actually there's so many resources now. We also have a, a flyer that we can send out um, and share as well. Yeah, so I I posted um, like the common law, like the UO common law resources list and our flyer. But yeah, like Nick was saying, there's the member assist program. There's Orlando da Silva. Um, Jessica Simon is wonderful, and she's the equity counselor. You uh, Ottawa actually just welcomed a new counselor. It used to be Aaron Fitzpatrick, but there has been a shift there. I got an email to meet with them actually this week. Yes, so it's uh, the new counselor is Rand Al Hussan. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to talk to her uh, soon. But you know, it's it's wonderful that the university has prioritized making a counselor available to law students. And aside from that. In term, like there are these sort of direct, explicit wellness resources, but then I think there are also sort of softer resources like Headspace or Calm, uh, meditation apps of that nature. But then there's also just getting involved in things that that mean something to you. Um, yeah, like like I think for Nick and I, that elephant in the room is is one of those things. But it, there are so many cool student groups on campus, and it doesn't have to be. Necessary, like there are ones that are law focused. For example, um, there's like an animal rights one. There's the business law one. Then there, there's also like there's the Black uh, Law Students Association, the Indigenous Law Students Association. Yeah, the creative like collective um, that, that I know Stephen and a bunch of people are involved in that. Yeah, and it, it it's super cool. And so I think there's a list of clubs. Yeah, and so I I think that finding one that that you know you want to be a part of that you find meaningful and and engaging will do so much for your sort of general wellness because it reminds you like it, it it's like a a sort of double win because you get to meet all of those awesome people who are here at at law school within U Ottawa. And you also get to do it in a way that's not just the law. Um, and so it really opens up your, it broadens your horizons. And I, I think it's an incredibly important thing to do because, you know, right now, like when you're in the small group setting, you're with the same people all day, every day. And then that just kind of disappears. So yes, like you'll maintain friendships with people, but in your second and third year, you get to meet a ton of really cool people that you you hadn't met before. And doing that through clubs and organizations, volunteering at different community organizations, it's wonderful too. Watch SEC hearing. Yeah, like take advantage of the fact that like you're you're down the street from from the SCC. Like it's sort of you, you can do all of these things and what, just humanize the experience. That was one of RBG's favorite sayings: humanizing the law. Oh yeah, I just read her. I'm just reading her book. Sorry, yeah, I had to throw that in there. 
Nice. But um, I think uh, I think that's a perfect way to end it off. Uh, as a last reminder to students that you're halfway through, and uh, you might have a bit less than another half to go, but it's the perfect time to you know get focused and uh, determine what you need to do in order to be your best self. So with that, I want to thank you guys enormously for coming onto the podcast. Uh, so thank you, Matthew, and thank you, Nicholas. Please check out the show notes because we're going to have a lot of things linked down there, uh, helpful resources. Thank you to our listeners. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. So This was awesome. I, I had a super fun time, and I'm really, really uh, grateful that, that you reached out, Bianca. And, um, you know, it's it's been fun and happy to do it. Yeah, don't be a stranger. Where can um, where can our listeners find Elephant in the Room? On Facebook, right? Is there anywhere else? Uh, yeah, we're on, we're on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter and our email E-I-T-R uh, Ottawa U at gmail.com if you're on Instagram it's E-I-T-R underscore U Ottawa law uh, so if you want to follow us there we talk about our events and some resources and um, similarly on Twitter resources updates things like that and Facebook is the one that we try to sort of communicate most broadly with the student body. Well, we invite our listeners to check that out. Check Elephant in the Room out on their social media and check out the show notes for some resources. So once again, thank you so much, Matt and Nick, for coming on. Uh, and thank you to our listeners. You've just been listening to The Law School Show, Student Life Series. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on our website, thelawschoolshow.com. If you like what you've heard, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the latest updates, curated resources, and opportunities to help you navigate the law school experience in every episode. Catch it all here next time on the Student Life Series.